Hey everyone, if you like the show, help us spread the word. Tell a friend. Find us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. And visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Before we get into the meat of our show today, last week we talked about Starbucks moving in to Italy, specifically Milan, in 2018. And uh, we got quite a few responses, but there were just two I thought we should share before we move on from that topic. Of course, we may have to touch that topic again, don't you think, Tiffany, once the Starbucks actually arrives and see what the response actually is? Yeah, especially because I was talking to some someone else over here, and they seemed to think that there were 18 Starbucks planned for Rome. Whoa. Yeah, I didn't check that. I didn't check to make sure that was true because I forgot about it until just the second. <laughs> but yeah, that's really scary. I'm hoping that that was just some urban legend or whatever. But definitely the one is coming to Milan. Leslie has this to say. Hey, Katie and Tiffany, I just listened to your coffee episode and agree. It's kind of gross that Starbucks is landing in Italy. When my husband and I travel internationally, we always want to experience the local culture and do everything we can to avoid large American chains. However, we tend to do that in America, too. There was one time, though, that Starbucks in Spain rescued us. In Spain really do breakfast, other than coffee and maybe toast, which isn't out of the ordinary for other places we've traveled. While traveling, we don't have a huge American breakfast, but when walking all over a new city, we kind of need something more sustaining to start the day. On our last stop during the three-week visit to Spain a few years ago, we were searching for some place to grab some breakfast before heading out to explore. We couldn't find anything near where we were staying, but finally we saw Starbucks. With some reservation, we both shrugged and gave in to Starbucks since we knew they had breakfast sandwiches. It felt oh so wrong, but at least I wasn't hungry for the rest of the morning. As for McDonald's, I don't even touch that mess in America, so I would never eat it abroad. Thanks for the podcast, Leslie. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. Leslie also gave us a donation after sending that email, which was really nice of her. And so in response, when I saw that she did that, I wrote her again. And I said, well, you know, I understand what you're saying about the mess of McDonald's. But I have to say, for me personally, that when it's hot outside, sometimes I really, really crave like a McDonald's ice cream cone. (laughs) Like that kind of creamy, super silky texture that it has. But I also admitted to her that um, every single time I do that, I eat it. And then I have a terrible stomach ache afterwards because, you know, who knows what chemicals that's made from, right? And so she wrote me back one more time and she said, Hey, Katie, okay, okay, I admit that I have been known to eat a mini M&M McFlurry upon occasion, but it has been a very long time. And afterwards, I always say, why did I do that? Because I end up feeling so gross. But it always does seem like a good idea at the start. Yeah, any, any junk food I think you can make the same claim for. But um, I love what she says about sort of being rescued by Starbucks. And as much as you want to avoid, if you are one of the more, let's say, brave travelers, you want to avoid that sort of American culture that is seeped into Europe or into other countries. Sometimes you just, you know, you're starving and you need, you need to eat. And that's the only option that you have. And I guess... Thank goodness for Starbucks. I don't know. No, I don't know what no, the no. takeaways well, you know, from in Rome, that. 
In Rome, you have a subway. Is there a subway in Rome? Oh, yeah. There's a subway in Rome. I did not know that. I know that Derek, on occasion, it was actually near his school while we were living there. <laughs> and on occasion, when you know you need something fast and you can't really think of where to go to get a quick sandwich. And by the way, you know, Italians do sandwiches pretty badly. <laughs> They're getting better. They're getting better. There's like several gourmet burger places popping up that are actually kind of amazing no i know but i'm talking about what are those little triangle ones that they make where they shove all the meat in the front oh tramezzini oh, no those are terrible that's no they're awful those are awful do you want to explain what a tramezzino is for people out there who've never been to italy <laughs> sure it basically looks like a, a wonder bread white bread triangle crustless crustless triangles of wonder yes, bread where all of the meat it's kind of like a fake sandwich where, you know, looking at it in the case, they almost all look like a bologna sandwich <laughs> for some reason. And all the meat is in the front. So when you actually take that first bite, you've already consumed all the meat and the rest of it's just empty. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. And I always find that they have more mayonnaise than anything else. Oh, it's disgusting. Like mayonnaise is like the number one ingredient and then bread and then whatever I else. Is, Who likes They're that? awful. They're so bad. Who likes that? Seriously. I've been in so many situations when I was in Italy where I'm just starving and all there is is some little cafe and that's all they have. This little <laughs> crappy trying sad. It's quite sad. It's funny, you know, Italy does so many things so well, but then there are a few things they just do so poorly, like those tramezzini and like tea, as we talked about last week. Right, or, or those awful, awful rest area type places along the freeway. What are those called? Uh, auto grill, I think. Yeah, auto grill. Yeah. And you have to go there to use the bathroom if you're on any kind of a road trip. And it's like a snaked maze where you go into it and you just can't get out without walking through tons of product. <laughs> There's no easy way in to like, just pop into the bathroom and go. It's like you have to walk through this maze of product, people standing around drinking coffee, and then the bathroom is somewhere like down in the bowels of the auto grill, and then you have to come back up, <laughs> come back up through and walk through another maze of imported chocolate and little triangle bologna sandwiches. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just awful. It's so awful. That said, I mean, I would, is it any more awful than like, driving up the freeway and having it dotted with Taco Bell and McDonald's. Probably not. But. Probably not. It's probably better, actually. The quality is probably better. Yeah, maybe. But the annoyance factor is pretty high. <laughs> There's just no way in and out. <laughs> no way in and out. Um, but yeah, what I, so what I was saying, though, was Derek had been known in a pinch at school to like pop down to that subway just because it's easy and familiar in a big sandwich, not a little tiny sandwich. Well, I have one more Starbucks email I want to read. And this one's for my sister, because I don't know if you people remember, but I called my sister out for driving long distances to get a brevet latte. That's right. I asked her if she wanted to respond to me calling her out specifically. And she did. So she wrote me um, a clarification letter about her relationship with Starbucks. She writes, to clarify my exact take on Starbucks, not that you misrepresented me, but you asked. I love one drink at Starbucks, the brevet that you mentioned, but all other drinks I prefer to get in other places. Their mochas are too chocolatey and their lattes don't taste good. But primarily for me, the reason I used to drive to get one was primarily for nostalgia and to have a predictable taste from home. If it rained, which is a rarity in Montana, I always wanted to get one because it reminded me of Seattle. 
When I first moved to Montana, there wasn't a Starbucks within three hours of me. So it became special when I would get one. It usually meant that I was on vacation somewhere. As a result, my memories associated with Starbucks are less about the coffee and more about the relaxed mood I was usually in if I had one. To feel that feeling was sometimes worth driving from Ennis to Missoula for. Now that there are so many of them and it's so easy to get them, I find I rarely go there. I tend to leave it for when I'm traveling or when it's raining or when they send me a free birthday drink because the coffee itself isn't worth getting every day. And if I did get it often, it probably wouldn't hold the same appeal to me. And it's actually the memories and the feelings associated with it that make it worth paying $5 for, not the coffee. So there you go, my complicated relationship with Starbucks. I love that because I think that captures so much the reason why people do love Starbucks or just love their local coffee place or their local tea shop, whichever it might be, because it's about so much more than the product. It's about the whole experience. And especially if that experience is connected to some kind of memory or some kind of ritual. Right. Yeah. There was a bit of a story this year about Starbucks because usually if it's around Christmas time, Starbucks changes their coffee cups to red. And this year they decided not to turn them to red, which you would think would be a non-news story. It must have been nostalgia that people were upset that the coffee cups didn't turn red. (laughs) It's supposed to indicate the coming of Christmas, that special magical time of year. What do you mean they're going to turn to green instead? It's supposed to be red. We're such creatures of habit. I know. Humans are. And it pops up in unexpected ways. But so many things point to that over and over again, how much we're creatures of habit. Yeah, just to bring it full circle... Being an expat a lot of times means that you give up on those things. But then, of course, you make your own habits in your new place, in your new country. Yeah, and habits can be so trapping, too. That's the thing. Mm. We're these creatures of habit. We're creatures that that want to have some comfortable patterns, right? Mm -hmm. But it also can make your world so much smaller. That's true. I always go to this coffee shop. I always go to this restaurant. I'm probably worse at this than you are, but it's almost like sometimes I'll forget that there are other options. Yeah. But I always eat at this one Greek restaurant. What do you mean go to teriyaki? (laughs) It's sort of like remembering that you can turn left when you always turn right. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about habitual patterns. Anyway, um, (laughs) I want to totally, totally switch gears here dramatically, if you're cool with that. Okay. So this week at my work, Town Hall Seattle, we had a guy stop by and do a a talk uh, very unexpectedly actually i think he booked the talk like the day before or two days before he actually came to seattle he's a guy named ezra levin in response to the election of donald trump he put together this pamphlet along with a bunch of his friends and former co-workers they all used to work on the hill in washington dc they put together this pamphlet called indivisible which was basically a guide for progressives, for Democrats, of what they can do to fight back in the era of Donald Trump. They just made it as a Google Doc, thinking, uh, you know, maybe a few thousand people will download it. And they were amazed. Like, I think within 12, 24 hours, the Google Doc completely crashed because so many millions of people were trying to download it. Yes, I heard about it. I've heard about it. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's sort of a how-to guide. Because, you know, it is true that 
you can be interested in politics and know who to vote for and be well informed but that doesn't mean that if it gets into like a knock down drag out fight that you know what to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i wouldn't know what to do and we've been getting a lot of emails lately from different expats and if i was a wiser person i would have pulled some of them up to read them before we started but i i didn't (laughs) so i'm not going to but we've been getting a lot of emails asking that question what is my responsibility if I'm from America in the era of Donald Trump? Is it okay for me to take this job overseas and leave right now? Is it important enough that I come back? You know, is it a time to not be away? Is it okay to try to ignore it? I think you've had that question also. Is it okay to just try to pretend that it's not happening? Mm -hmm. And since Ezra was there and he's been such an outspoken person lately, I figured I'd corner him for a couple minutes and ask him those questions. So it's a very impromptu interview. I didn't have any recording equipment, so I recorded it with a voice memo on my phone. And I'm going to play it for you. And then we'll see what you think. Uh, okay, so there... Wait, tell, me, <laughs> oh, right. tell me who you are. Too. Okay, right. Uh, this is Ezra Levin. I'm executive director of The Indivisible Project and co-author of The Indivisible Guide, which is about resisting the Trump agenda. All right, so we were talking down in the lobby. He's doing an event tonight at Town Hall where I work. Um, But I was asking him all the questions I've been getting from you guys about what can you do if you want to resist Trump but you live in a different country. And I was asking you if you had any advice. Yeah, so it's tricky. So the theory of change in the guide is that Donald Trump's agenda does not depend on Donald Trump. It depends on whether or not individual members of Congress resist or rubber stamp his agenda. Uh, What that gives is a lot of power to constituents, people who are voting for their members of Congress, because members of Congress care about re-election, first and foremost, and that means they care most about those re-election chances and less about any individual thing that Trump is doing. So the tricky thing for expats and actually people who live in D.C. too, where I live, is that they might not have residency in a place where they have a a representative or senators. Um, and so what can you do? This is the fundamental question. What, like, where is your constituent power? You can vote in presidential elections, but who, like, if you you don't have a base back home, uh, how can you assert that constituent power? So it's, it's a little bit tricky. You got to do a little bit of backflipping um, to, to get to that. And the answer is everybody's from somewhere. Uh, you've got friends, family, neighbors, organizations back home that you can be supporting. If you are from Biloxi, but you find yourself in London, um, go be talking to your family in Biloxi and saying, hey, mom and dad, brother, sister, friend from school, here's what the senators are doing. This is terrible. What are you doing about that? Mm -hmm. Um, It's maybe a little bit less satisfying, but it's rooted again in this local power. What is less effective is trying to respond to writing letters to Donald Trump because he doesn't care. Yes. It's Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know why. <laughs> hang on, hang on. There we go. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> the door has other ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So sorry, you were saying. Uh, uh, yeah. That um, that uh, the the thing to do is to assert this constituent power as best you can. So you're you're the pathway through which you influence the federal policy debate is Congress. Because those are the folks who are responsive to individuals, not Trump. He, he represents the entire country. But if you want to influence his agenda, you do it through those two senators and that one representative. So figure out your connection to them and then apply pressure. And another question I get all the time is, is it okay for them to stick their head in the sand and ignore it if they, 
you know, they're all the way over in Germany or they're all the way over in Italy. You know, is it okay to just pretend it's not happening? Look, I mean, you can do whatever you want. Uh, we're, uh, <laughs> you're, you're all free to do um, whatever makes you happy. I will say uh, the, the reach of this administration, this Congress, is far beyond this country. Uh, and if it's not knocking on your door yet, there's a significant chance that it will eventually. And if you care about social justice, if you care about the state of the world, if you believe that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, you got to understand that doesn't do it on its own, that it's done by people. Uh, there's nothing that says we will win. We only win if we get engaged. Um, so, yeah, you're free to ignore it. Uh, I would love to watch Star Wars and uh, uh, have hobbies. Uh, and I know the 6,000 groups that are in every single congressional district in the country, these are made up of volunteers who are giving up their time, just like folks at the national level are giving up their time. Um, it's tough. It's not what we'd all love to be doing, but it is a responsibility, I would argue, that we have. Uh, and the only way that we're going to succeed is if people live up to that responsibility. All right, I got one more, and then you have to do a building tour. Yeah. One more. Another question I hear all the time, and a lot of people were joking about, as we well know, leading up to his election, uh, was, if Donald Trump gets elected, I'm leaving the country. Mm -hmm. And so now we have this mix of listeners who um, said that, maybe, or they were already planning to leave the country, or now they're thinking about leaving the country more than they were before because they just don't want to live under this administration, um, but they have a lot of guilt. Like, is it okay to leave the country right now? You know, I mean, it comes back to the original thing. I mean, you can, again, it, it is free for now uh, to leave the country. You were probably able to do that. I would say that to the extent that involves you giving up your say and the way this country is run and the impact it has on the world, that's a shame. You, that's something real that you're giving up. If you stay in the country and fight for what you believe, you have a chance to have an impact on what's happening at the nationwide level and the worldwide level. And so um, I understand the, the, the interest in, in retreating off into some far-flung land where you can feel more secure that everybody around you believes what you believe. Um, you know, these are the times that try men's souls. This is, we are, we are in a unique moment. And I think, again, that we have a responsibility to live up to this moment. Uh, and running away and being comfortable is an easy path. Um, I would argue not the, not the best path. Okay to, oh, is it dramatic enough that they should come home? Um, that is an interesting question. Um, it, it, uh, the, these are personal choices that everybody's making. Sure. Um, and it depends on what, what you're able to do. I mean, some people need, need to leave for one reason or another. Some people have the ability to come back, and, th and that's great. I think it's a personal decision the same way that you've got to decide how much you're donating to charity. You have to decide what kind of profession you go into. You have to decide what kind of life you lead. Um, you got to weigh these choices. I would say that uh, I, uh, things are somewhat dire right now. Uh, this is a unique moment in American history and world history, and if you were asking yourself what you would have been doing during the civil rights marches, if you were asking yourself what you would have been doing during um, uh, the abolition movement, during the American Revolution, um, it's what you would be doing right now. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was really compelling. I have listened to him speak before. I'm not sure which show it was on, but something like the Rachel Maddow show, I think, which is the one I'm currently addicted to. 
I loved how he ended. I mean, wow, it really puts it in perspective that this is as serious a moment, according to him, this is as dire a moment as the civil rights movement or even the American Revolution. Do you think that's true? Well, I mean, it's so hard to know because that's historic for us. And so we learn about it in this historical context that makes everything seem so dramatic. Yeah. Um, but I think it is dramatic. Yeah, I do think there has been a pretty major shift here in the United States about how people feel, even just in the fact that my job is to put on events and any event that I do that is any way Trump related or resistance related right now. And granted, I live in Seattle, which is pretty liberal, is just a sellout. Whereas before, I don't think you could put together a show about the limits of presidential power and have it be a sell a sellout. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you'd have some people who are maybe interested in law. <laughs> you know, maybe a hundred people would show up. Right. You wouldn't have nine hundred people show up. Yeah. Which is the capacity. But people are desperate to find what can he do, what is possible, what can his people do, how do we stop him? Because his first ten days were so horrifying. So I do think that people feel a lot of people could die yeah. if something isn't put in check. Mm -hmm. As far as what he was saying about this doesn't just impact the United States, therefore expats should not be putting their head in the sand. Very good point. I was recently, <laughs> I'm going to be honest here, I didn't actually sit and read the article, but it's on my reading list. <laughs> it's on my reading list. But uh, the headline of the article was something about, I think it was from politico.com, and it was about Steve Bannon and mm -hmm. how he, you know, according to this journalist, his master plan, one of his master plans is to dismantle the European Union. Yeah. There we go. I'm an expat, like many, many other expats living in Europe, you know, who, who might in a moment of complacency think, well, it's horrible what's happening over there, but it doesn't have anything to do with me or it's not going to affect me. If the European Union were to collapse, that would affect all of us living over here. And it's a very scary thing for me. And I've been thinking about it a lot since Brexit, really. And I, it just goes to show that um, <laughs> you're talking about American politics. You can't get away from it. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm from Moldova <laughs> and, uh, and I, I moved away because I don't like my country's politics. And they're not going to follow you, probably. Mm -hmm. But American politics are going to follow you wherever you go. And I personally like you're saying about the people that you're coming into contact with over there, I've become obsessed with American politics. I mean, obsessed. And I probably read 10 or more articles a day. Yeah. And I never used to read articles on politics. I mean, unless it was some like major, major thing. You know, I knew what I, you know, kind of the bare minimum. I find myself so much more informed than I ever have been in my entire life about how things work, about how things work in Congress, about certain laws and who they apply to and what the president has power to do and what he doesn't have power to do. And I know the names of all of these, you know, sec secretaries that I, you know, I would never have known before. It's kind of weird for someone who's not a person who is, 
you know, politics has never been a passion of mine at all. Yeah. I like music. I like art. <laughs> what can right. I say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm obsessed. And I literally, one of the very first things I do when I wake up in the morning, and I know this has got to be unhealthy, like checking your email before you're out of bed. Um, it's not the best way to start your day, but I admit that I do it. One of the very first things I do before I'm even out of bed, I check the news. I want to see if there's any huge new scandal because there's scandal like every three days. There's some new like bombshell every three days. I'm just waiting for the day it's been proven that Trump colluded with the Russians and, you know, impeachment process is about to begin. <laughs> you know, that's like the moment that I'm waiting for every day. I think that's the moment a lot of people are waiting for. But I mean, going back to what Ezra said, though, in your own, you're becoming more interested, but are you a person, do you think, that would take action? I really want to. I found out about an app that a woman created that I can't remember her name, but it's um, basically, I think you put in your zip code and you log on and basically it tells you the issues that your senators and your congressmen are going to be deciding on. And basically it gives you a little overview of things that you can call them about. And then you, like, if you click call, it'll directly call your congressman. I have American residency in a red state. Unlike some of the people that Ezra was talking about, I still maintain a residence in the United States. How do you do that? Yeah. Thanks to my mother. Does she just claim that you live there? It's quite easy. In the United States, don't quote me on this because, but I believe that as long as you have, and then this should be the case for everyone then, as long as you have a driver's license, a valid driver's license, you have residency. Whatever address is listed on that driver's license, okay. you supposedly have residency there. Now, I happen to have my mother's address listed, and I know that she will vouch for me. You know, yeah. If a letter arrives for me, you know, she will forward it to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you need to have some kind of connection like that or if it can be just someplace you used to live. I don't know. But America does not have a certificate of residence or something like what you know we have in Italy. As long as you have your driver's license, that's where your residence is. So I'm a resident in Arizona, although I've never lived there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I did look up my local congressman. I know who he is. I've definitely thought about calling in. I haven't done it because, of course, for me, there's, you know, some long distance charges to be dealt with, but they're not insurmountable. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I need, I need that document, that indivisible document, because I don't, like, I feel like I, I would call and I wouldn't know where to start. You know, I don't want to sound unprepared. Right. And just like some rant, ranting person who's like, I hate Donald Trump. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, I want to write in and I want to have a very specific sort of agenda when I call in. Well, I will put a link to the guide for you on our website under this episode. Thank you. So that you can Thank download you. it and be prepared. What about that idea of maybe it is time for some expats to come home? Would you ever come home? Um, it's <laughs> Or what would need to happen for you to feel like you came home, would come home? I can totally get the idea that if you're living over there, you, know, you shouldn't be like, okay, I'm out of here. That's not really the ideal thing to do. Although it's tempting. I would totally be tempted to do that if I still lived over there. But as far as coming back, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's that's a very selfless thing to do, you know, because it's like you're saying, here I am, I have this whole other life in another country. And in most cases, you probably like it. 
if you're living over here, you know, if you're living in a foreign country, it's probably because you want to be. So already it means that you have found a place that you prefer to the United States. Then the United States gets worse in a sense. Why would you then choose to move back when the place that you left in the first place is now worse than it was when you left it? It seems kind of counterintuitive. You have to be a certain type of person. You have to be a selfless person. You have to be an activist. And honestly, not, I mean, not everyone is. Now, to go back to Ezra's point, maybe in times of dire need, everyone should be an activist and everyone should come together. Because who was it who said, and I'm going to totally botch this quote, so forgive me in advance, all that it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Claudia and I have talked a lot about moving to the States. We've been talking about it for a while, kind of as a far-off idea, not something that's going to happen in the next 12 months. But I have to be honest, my, my gut reaction is, okay, but not until, not until Trump is out. But that's very selfish of me. And I recognize that that's selfish of me. But here's the thing. This is, this is the question that I think everybody, well, maybe not everybody. This is the question I think people are asking themselves. Maybe they're just asking themselves since they heard Ezra just say the things that he said, which is, well, what kind of a person am I? And if I'm not the resistance type, if I'm not like the, I've got to go back to the United States and become Martin Luther King type. <laughs> If you're not a person who normally would take to the streets in March because you don't like crowds, should you be feeling guilty? Are you not living up to your responsibility? And and how much is enough? Like, obviously, we all have different talents. We all use it in different ways. Is it enough that I use my talent for radio and event production to talk about this on a radio show and to put on an event about presidential power? Is that me doing my part? Um, or do I need to be out in the streets when I would not be inclined to be? Yeah, there's no answer to that, really. It's that hard question of like, what would you do? Yeah, what would you do during the civil rights era? Mm -hmm. You don't want your answer to be like, I would have done nothing. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes the answer feels like I would have done nothing. <gasps> I would have talked about it with my friends with absolute disgust and put a poster to on Facebook about it, you know? But we don't want that to be the answer. So I think it, it I don't know, it's, it's such a complicated question. Now, let me turn it around on you. Great. You have mentioned on the show, so I'm not like exposing anything that's too private, but you have mentioned in passing that you are considering the possibility of perhaps maybe moving back to Rome. Yes, that's true. Is this whole political climate going to influence your decision? I would like to say yes. But I don't think so. I think what will influence the decision more than anything is financial. Can I afford it? <laughs> Practical. Can I afford it? Does it make sense for my professional ambitions? Am I going for the right reasons? Or am I trying to flee something? And I'm not talking about the presidential <laughs> situation, you know, but like fleeing difficulties in life, you know, sometimes you're just mm -hmm. like, well, screw it, I'm moving, you know? So, yeah, and, and is there anything that I could see doing there professionally that would be fulfilling? 
or would I just be wasting time or it's never a waste of time to be in Rome but <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah I, I guess maybe I'm one of those shallow people where I would not I don't think I would take the politics into account when making that decision mm-hmm. but then again you know I'm not a political activist type mm-hmm. you know I've spent so many years covering the news my job was to be a journalist to search for the truth in doing that as a profession you live in this realm where you report on things but you don't necessarily have opinions about things i am always open to hearing a different point of view and changing how i feel about stuff so in that regard i think that i don't have super strong opinions a lot of the time although you know i do have a strong opinion about donald trump and how dangerous he is but i also think that it made me so that i maybe when i was a younger person i might have formulated this more activism stance on things i didn't form that what i formed was taking a step back and looking at the situation from a distance and i think it's hard for me to change that but you know i'm open to change i mean who knows what will happen i get what you're coming from where you're coming from i don't actually think that it means you don't have strong opinions the fact that you are open to changing your mind i think that that means you are a rational person who I mean, I think people who are so, so set in their ways politically, whether it's left or right, those are the people who, they don't want to hear the truth. And I mean, I've been in that situation myself, so convinced that I'm right, that I don't even want to hear the other person's opinion. So I I think that it's the way you are is the ideal way to look at things. It's so hard to predict what what will I be doing a year from now? You know, let's say I I don't move to Rome and I stay here and Trump is still the president. Along the way, I m- meet people like Ezra Levin and it changes, it tweaks just a bit of what I think my responsibility is. That maybe I'm not doing enough. So I don't know, like I always am kind of meeting these people that slightly change my behavior or my point of view so who knows maybe a year from now we can check in a year from now and be like oh my gosh katie became a major activist she was the martin luther king of her generation who yeah, knew? she's moved to dc <laughs> um that's really doubtful but yeah you never know i would be curious to hear from people listening to the show what did what ezra said make you think about What are you thinking about as far as your responsibilities? So yes, please tell us what you think. Are you an expat who's considering moving back because of this? You want to be part of the movement, the resistance? Or are you an expat thinking, oh my God, thank God I dodged a bullet and I'm over here. Are you planning to move abroad and you're having second thoughts now? Or have you decided that you're going to move abroad because of the political situation? So let us know. Send us an email. You can email us at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's M-A-I-L. Or you can tweet us at bittersweetpod. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook at facebook.com slash bittersweetlifepodcast. Yeah, I can also say that as far as this indivisible guide is concerned, there is an indivisible abroad public page that's on Facebook. So if you are an expat and you want to be able to talk to other people, form some sort of community around that guide in particular i did put a link to it on our facebook page great so great check it out 
yeah so we want to hear your opinions and i guess we should leave it there this episode's getting a little long in the tooth and yeah it's a bit heavy too very heavy and you know it's again one of those episodes and i know i've said this before but sometimes we record an episode where i know that i'm going to be editing it later and i'm going to think i do not feel the way i feel at all (laughs) you know like i'm going to change my opinion uh, just in the course of re-listening to this episode she's That's a pisces guys don't <laughs> give her a hard time she's a pisces she's supposed to be changeable right right i'm like the winds i'm like the seas sometimes you feel like i do not know what i'm talking about and i'm going to totally change my point of view later on um <laughs> i think that's a sign of intelligence that you're able to change your mind well thank you i appreciate that and uh, yeah so until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks Join us again. Bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.